We've been talking in Romans uh, chapter 12 about spiritual gifts and love and devotion and all these wonderful things. But believe it or not, sometimes people get tired of all that. You ever get tired of living the Christian life? Has it ever just kind of struck you? Like, I'm just not sure I can do that this week, or I'm worn out, or those kind of things. Be honest, now, does that really happen? Can you be a Christian and actually get tired of doing God's work? Sometimes I think we'd like to hang up our Christianity on a peg on the wall for a while and just kind of leave it there and go off and do something else for a little bit. You won't be alone if you feel that way. I mean, human beings being what they are, being the way we are, we often struggle to maintain ourselves in worthwhile endeavors. Goodness is not easy. In fact, true goodness is is one of the hardest things in life. And because it's not easy, doing right can be wearying to your body and to your soul, especially when you drift in your spiritual life. And all of us go through those times when we sort of drift a little bit, where our devotions are a little less intense or maybe gone, and our faith is just uh, wavering a little bit. And our text today speaks to the question of zeal, of energy in the service of Christ, uh, drive, diligence. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and following offers us this list of Christian virtues which are the distinguishing marks of authentic Christianity and it is a description of a vital Christian life, a life that is grounded in the new birth, lived out in the local church. And so far we've talked about love, which is the root of all Christian virtues in verse 9 there. We've talked about having God's view of good and evil. Verse 9, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. We've talked about brotherly love, the camaraderie of Christian fellowship, affection for one's fellow saints, and verse 10, giving preference to one another in honor. And in verse 11, Paul turns to the subject of our our fervor, our enthusiasm, how much fire is in the belly, as some people might put it. Verse 11, he says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That is a distinguishing mark of authentic Christianity. Why does Paul need to say that? Why are fervency and diligence Christian virtues? Well, for the same reason he tells us about all these other things. Just like love can degenerate into performance or acting, and just like sin can can become too familiar and not be abhorrent any longer, and just as devotion to one another as family can fade, And as we can forget in our vanity to give preference to one another in honor, so too it is a common experience of life. It's just reality for our zeal to diminish and our passion to cool and our ardor to soften. Our Christian life can slide into a dull sort of routine and we can forget what made it so exciting at first. My Christian life today is not the same as it was when I was a new Christian. It's changed and it's not that it's necessarily weaker. It's just that the kind of enthusiasm I had when I was a new Christian and I wanted to share Christ with absolutely everybody all the time at every moment and uh, do weird things at school and everything, that's just seasoned. It's changed. And so the emotions are a little bit different than they were then. I mean, I'm still excited. I've never been uh, bored with preaching or preparing sermons. I love it. It's what I enjoy doing. But but it's changed. The whole relationship has, has changed in terms of the kind of person I am. I'm older. I don't get as excited about anything as I was when I was 19 years old or whatever. So 
But that's different, just seasoning and changing as we mature, that's different from letting your spiritual life actually slide, which it does happen. It happens to all of us at times. We kind of go into this routine thing. We forget the excitement, and it doesn't mature, it actually diminishes, and that's what we should not allow to happen. If you let that go on too long, pretty soon a ball game becomes a more energizing reality in your life than the Lord's service, and that shouldn't be. Or the latest spring fashions become more exciting than God's kingdom, and if that's the case, that's too bad, and you're probably in a bad place. Do you know um, you're actually supposed to be zealous? Did you know that? Well, I thought zealous people were like Bible-thumping kooks, you know? Well, yeah, Bible-thumping kooks have a certain kind of zeal, but every Christian is to be zealous for the things of God. Not like a kook, but, but in exactly the manner that the Lord Jesus Christ was zealous. We read, Chris read that text earlier this morning describing Christ cleansing the temple and kicking out the money changers and that scripture is brought in there, zeal for thy house will consume me. Jesus was zealous for the proper worship of the Father. He was zealous in his life. The apostles were zealous, and we should be zealous in the way they were. We should be zealous in the way all the great saints in church history have been zealous. Do you know why, why God called you into his kingdom? Do you know why he did that? Because he didn't have anything else to do. No, that's not why. He actually had a purpose. Do you know what he intends by you being brought into his kingdom, his purpose for you. Do you know what it is? We're actually told in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, speaking of Jesus, it says he gave himself for us that he might redeem us, purchase us from out of every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession. And then he adds on this phrase, zealous for good deeds. He redeemed you to be his people, zealous for good deeds, to be zealous in good. That's why he purchased you, so that you will be zealous for good. He desires, he wants, he intends that his people will be zealous for good deeds. So you should ask yourself, what am I zealous for? Where are my passions? That's a good question. Because you were saved to be zealous for good deeds. That's God's purpose. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says, Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 has the same idea. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. They have to tell us that because it is a typical experience of human nature that we do grow weary of doing good. The idea of good deeds, doing good, actually pervades Paul's thinking about what it means to be a Christian. We are supposed to be about doing good in this world. Lights, Jesus said, salt of the earth. And it means so much more than not doing bad to be doing good, you know. I think some of us think if we're not doing bad, at least bad in the world's eyes, you know, that sort of nice thing, then we're okay. That's we're pleasing God, we're doing what he wants to do. It's so much far, farther than that where God wants us to be. It means so much more than that. Some people think the spiritual life is avoiding sins, period. And that's not it. Talk about missing the best piece of the pie there. That's just, that's just starters forsaking sin. We're supposed to be moving in a direction of 
being salt and light in this world, of doing good, of going about being instruments of God, the positive good, that's what makes Christian living joyful and satisfying and exciting. Because when you're really doing good, good things are happening and God is blessing. Paul obviously gets his emphasis on being zealous for good from the Lord Jesus himself. What did Jesus do with his time? He didn't sit around staring at his navel like some kind of a holy man, you know, on an ash heap. Jesus said himself that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And that's what he did with his time. He served people. He answered their needs in all kinds of ways. Maybe Peter said it best in his sermon at Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10. He said, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, talking to these people who did know, they knew the whole story because Jesus had such an impact on their culture and country. How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. He just went about doing good. He preached God's word. He healed people. He ministered to people. He listened to people. He spent time with people. Jesus went about doing good and we should have the same basic attitude. And I know we're busy and we have problems of our own and we have long commutes and we have taxing jobs and all that stuff. But in the midst of all that, actually even in and during all of that busyness, we should strive to have a zeal to do God's work there in the world as we go through life, doing good. You can be a source of blessing at work. You can be ministering to others in the midst of your own problems. You can be praying during that long commute for people. You can get a couple hours of good prayer in there, right? There's all kinds of ways to express your enthusiasm for God's things. So don't grow weary of doing good, but as Romans 12:11 says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit. That idea of fervent, that word fervent means like boiling over. It's like a pot boiling over. Hot, ready to be used of God. We still use ideas like that. He's hot to go. You ever hear expressions like that? That's what that means. Fervent, eager. Well, be hot for the Lord's work, for doing good. We saw in Galatians 6.9 and 2 Thessalonians 3.13 that warnings about growing weary in doing good. You have to be on guard against weariness of being God's light and doing God's work because it does come. How do people grow weary of doing good? How do you lose fervor? What is it that saps the desire to continue in the service of God? Well, I can think of several things. Let me just give you several ways that I see this happening in my life and in other people's lives. Some people get weary of the idea of doing good because they haven't really been in harness at all in terms of God's work. They really haven't ever done much. And so they're already weary. And you know why they're weary? They're weary of watching. They're weary of just sort of observing Christianity and not being a part of it. And that gets worrying because you're missing all the exciting parts by just watching. Because look, look at you guys, you're pretty dull. But it's not that much fun looking at you. I mean, some of you are very nice looking. And, uh, but, but, you know, it's just not, the, but it gets old after a while. I mean, there's just not that much going on visually here. But if you are involved with each other's, each other's lives before and after the service, and if you're praying and praying that so-and-so would get a good message today and that your heart would be open and all of that, if you're doing all that stuff and being involved in it, it's a lot more interesting. A lot more interesting. 
Some people are just tired of watching. And I can understand that because observing Christianity can get tiresome because the action is in the doing. The cure for that, of course, is to jump in with both feet, do things, get involved. There's so much to do and so much that isn't being done. And I'm sure there are many ministries that haven't even been considered yet that people have gifts for because we're just not doing as much as maybe we should do. I think we can say with confidence that as you move through life, you're not going to find a shortage of good that you can do. Oh, man, I just ran out of good things to be... I mean, is that the way you, you, you go through the world and you say, oh, gosh, everything's all taken care of. It's just a great, wonderful world. That isn't what it's like for me. Get into it. Pitch in. Second thing, some people get weary of well-doing because doing good or ministering in the church is new when you start. When I was a new Christian, it was all fresh and exciting and so different. And I went to church every time I could. You know what? They didn't rent like we did. I had an actual church building where I was saved where I went to church. So I would go on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and anything else they had going at Friday night Bible study. I just couldn't get enough of the Bible. I was just, just wonderful. And I still like going to church. I, I've never really gotten tired of that. But um, some people do. It can become routine after a while. Some personalities... Some kinds of people just sort of function off of newness, you know? They always have to have something new. Some churches get like that too. Well, how are we going to whip them up this year? Well, let's do one of these programs and do that. And, you know, we're not quite into that too much. Not that we're against doing new stuff, but we don't, we're not obsessed with it. But some people function off that. It has to be a new and exciting thing. That person just kind of wants stimulation. They don't know how to find joy in drudgery or maintain joy over a long haul. It's just a personality thing. And that's a big problem in our day because unlike previous generations, we expect to be entertained almost constantly in the way our culture has developed, right? Oh, man, oh, got it. It's, it's silent. <laughs> you know, it really is withdrawal when you turn off the TV for a week. I mean, it really is. And, or the radio or whatever. I mean, the, people aren't even used to being quiet or... just weird, you know, quiet. Everything is a blur. It moves so fast in our lives. We move from one stimulant to another. And some people can't get enough of all that, so they in, in stick things in their veins or drink things down to try to keep more stimulations firing off in their, in their synapses or whatever. For other people, it's just that noise. They just constantly have to have noise or activity going on all the time. There's no time for reflection or, or contemplation or extended reasonable thinking. And you can see it, that kind of thing, pervade through the whole culture. If you want to read a really good book, you should read um, Neil Postman's book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. It's a great analysis of modern culture. Uh, he's a Jewish writer. It's really a fascinating thing. But he talks about the political discourse in there, the Lincoln-Douglas debates, which I've actually seen the Lincoln-Douglas debates reenacted. I've, I've got a video of them at home. These guys, Abraham Lincoln and Stephen Douglas, debated. Now, when you watch a modern debate, this is the way it goes. President Bush, you have one minute to answer that question, and... Uh, uh, President Clinton, you've got uh, 30 seconds to respond. Whatever that, that, that's the way it goes, right? Isn't that how it goes? You've got one minute and 30 seconds to respond. You're supposed to discuss American foreign policy in one minute and have 30 seconds to respond. That's how it goes. And then you get a rebuttal for 15 seconds, that kind of thing. The way they did the Stephen Douglas debates, one guy got up and spoke for a half hour. Half hour just straight on whatever the subject was. The other guy spoke for 45 minutes. And then the other guy had a half hour to rebut. That's how it was. And people stood by the thousands and listened to these guys go at it. Speeches, 
off the top of their heads, long discourses about political history, founding of a nation, slavery, whatever the issues were in those days, long discourses, and people just listened. They, they were used to it. They could handle it. Things have changed dramatically. And you can see it in children's programming. You know, it used to be, you know, you could be Mr. Rogers and just kind of talk to two wooden puppets, you know, and this camera just kind of stood there and moved around. And said, we were very entertained by that when I was a kid, you know, and uh, Fran and all, or whatever. It's really simple. And now everything's racing around, and you've got to keep this constant stimulation. In fact, they say one of the biggest problems with children today is they've been Sesame Street-tized, where things are moving so fast and happening so quick, and there's constant stimulation that they can't sit down and just reason with and spend time reflecting in, uh, on information. It's actually a, a damaging thing. And, uh, you know, Hollywood scripts are 30 to 40 percent shorter than they used to be, even though the movies are a little bit longer. The scripts are shorter because people don't want to hear people talking. They just want to see things blow up and people fall off buildings and cameras moving constantly and all that kind of stuff, you know, and that's the, it just, that's the way it is. It's a culture of gratification and stimulation. So working at some task for God that requires long-term commitments and focus, it's just difficult. It can just be difficult. Also, some people just can't handle life's plateaus, you know? You know, plateau is you work up to a certain level and then you're on this sort of even place for a while. Business people, certain kinds of business people, they're great at building up a business, they work really hard, get all this stuff, they love the challenge of putting it together, then, they, then they're successful and it's this going thing. Then they've got to run it. And they get bored to tears. They don't even know what to do, you know. How do I spend my time? What am I doing? So they, they throw that business away and go get another one, you know, they build it up. I mean, some people are just like that. It's a different kind of challenge to keep it going versus getting started with it. It's not as stimulating. So that type of person, you know, goes off to start something else or find some other form of artificial stimulation. And that can be a danger. How does the person who needs stimulation not grow weary in doing good because good can be long-term commitments and repetitious and sort of the same thing and needs just have certain kinds of solutions that might just require labor. Well, being a mature person helps. Not everything that is worthwhile is exciting. You just have to know that. Not everything that is worthwhile is exciting. And if you look more deeply into doing good, you will find the interest and the stimulation and the excitement in the result and in what's happening and in God's smile on what you're doing. God's God is pleased with what you're doing. Find the joy in watching God take your service and change the world a little bit and be happy in that. Find stimulation in simpler things. You know, in my line of work, I, I bury people. And um, one, a really interesting thing I've noticed about older people, when you have a funeral for somebody that's in their 70s or 80s or whatever, and you talk to their family, you find out as much information as you can about them, the most common thing about people from that generation that are in their 70s or 80s it's the way that people talk about their simple pleasures. They delight in gardening, reading a book. Um, you know, they didn't have all this stimulation when they were growing up, so it was a simpler time. And their, their ability to enjoy is simpler. I just love to be out there doing this or doing walks or that kind of thing. It's, just, it's an interesting phenomenon. I don't think they'll be saying that about people my age. You know, they just had such a simple joy and the garden and I mean they're just not going to talk like that about most of us 
Well, he was into extreme sports, and that's why we're burying him. He, he fell. <laughs> he tried to go off that mountain at 70 on a, you know, and he just lost it there. He wasn't quite up to the old strength, and he misjudged that last turn, and he's, he's gone, so, you know, this is different. But, you know, when you let love be the mainspring, the, the well from which you draw forth your service, then there is satisfaction in serving other people, even in ways that are unspectacular. You can find simpler pleasures there. If you need novelty, you will probably need a motive check. You know, why am I doing this? What is my motive? If I need to be stimulated with new things all the time, why am I doing it? Because it's really probably for me. A lot of good deed doing happens to stroke one's own ego rather than serving the Lord. So you need to examine your own motives. Love has to govern not only your relationships, all relationships, but your service as well. has to. Let's say you've been teaching Sunday school for 20 years and it just doesn't have the same excitement it did the first year you did it. No, it isn't going to have the same excitement. Not the same excitement, but it can still be exciting. I would say that's a normal thing. You're just older, and the kind of feeling you have about it might change. You're not as scared for one thing. <laughs> but what should be the driving motive every year, year one, year five, year seven, year 20, is love for God and for God's people. And in that, you can find an interest. There are always new kids coming along in that class or new adults and they belong to different families and they're all in different places in their lives and they all need a touch. Just a, a little help along the way down the narrow path towards the Lord. They need a kind face and they need loving instruction. It's not the same thing all the time if your focus is on the people and not on the process. You know what I'm saying? Because there's always new people and they're always at different places in their lives and they always... All of them need a, a help up. They need to be served. So that doesn't get old. Not if you focus on people. Your interest can grow as you seek to instruct and pray for that new face in class. Lesson preparation may have its tedious side, but that is a means to a goal. The goal being to direct a life toward Christ. And that doesn't get old. Now, that doesn't mean you can't change ministries or do something new, but we should have a mature reflection about what we're doing and why we're doing it and what we hope to accomplish. So the newness does sort of wear off. And when it does, faithfulness and right motives take over. And love dominates all service. So we've said some people grow weary from doing good because they haven't really been doing much. Some people grow weary because they like the excitement of something new and they haven't matured to the point where they can find satisfaction in the long term. Now, a third cause of weariness and loss of zeal is the subtle danger of doing God's work in your own strength. You can look good, be effective, build churches, convert sinners, organize crusades, and being operate, operate entirely on your own ability, what the Bible would call in the flesh. That is, there's no spiritual power behind it. You, you just are good at manipulating situations and doing things. You're just talented. That's how religions work, by human effort. Christianity involves human effort, but its core is designed to be divine effort through us. That is Christian service, doing good. It's to be an overflow of a vital spiritual life. 
an expression of your walk with God every day. That's what it's supposed to be. But it's easy to look like that and not have that. It really is easy. The problem is eventually it catches up. I could preach sermons that are just as good, probably, totally in the flesh, because I've probably done it. Um, and you wouldn't, probably wouldn't know the difference. Now, if I did it all the time for a long period of time, you'd, you'd start noticing. But uh, if I'm having a really bad, wicked week, and, uh, but I know how to put this together. I know how to do that. As long as I'm telling you what the Word says, you'll get something out of it. But you can, you can build without faith, and you can teach without prayer, and you can witness without delighting in God, but that can only go so far because human energy only goes so far. Without love towards God and towards other people and devotion towards God as a wellspring of religious duty and activity, it eventually catches up with you and gets the better of you. If the work itself doesn't collapse, you'll just lose heart for it or get so twisted in the way you do it that it becomes something very ugly. On the night of the Last Supper, Jesus gave a lengthy discourse on abiding abiding, using the analogy of vines and how the branch that does not abide in the vine will not produce fruit. Go over to the Agua Dulce Vineyard there and start cutting all the vines from the branches. Well, don't do that. But if you did do that, what would happen? It wouldn't look nearly as pretty and green as, as it does now. And, and uh, they would die. You wouldn't get any grapes out of it. There wouldn't be any wine coming forth from that. John 15:5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him, where there's an organic union, he bears much fruit. And then he says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. To do God's work in a sustained way and have the fruit he wants it to have, you must be drawing life and sustenance and vigor from Christ himself. And he supplies more and more to keep you going. He supplies, we serve. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great British pastor, in his excellent book, he wrote a book called, well, it's probably just a collection of sermons, but the book's called Spiritual Depression. Spiritual Depression. It's how to deal with it. He had some really important thoughts on this idea. He addresses how some people be become their activities. Some people are not letting their activities flow from, the, flow from their life, their activities are who they are. And he says it this way, one of the greatest dangers in the spiritual life is to live on your own activities. In other words, the activity is not in its right place as something which you do, but has become something that keeps you going. Some of the greatest tragedies I have seen have been in such men who did not realize they had been living for years on the force and strength of their activities. These keep them going, and then when they are taken ill or grow old and could no longer do what they used to do, they become depressed. They did not know what to do with themselves because they've been living on their own activities. I suppose it is one of the most obvious tendencies in our civilization. It is certainly one of the greatest causes of neurosis at the present time. Unfortunately, the world has become so mad, and we are kept going by this terrific momentum and rush of life, and instead of our being in control, the thing is controlling us. And ultimately, it exhausts us and depresses us. So the message is, keep a, a living and abiding and growing relationship with Christ. So what you do comes from that. So you aren't just what you do. You know what I'm saying? That has to come first. The relationship has to come first. When you walk with 
Christ and you grow in Him, your ministry, whatever it is, whatever it is, will be set on a path of blessing. If you can't walk with Him, then it will be destruction, either through boredom or misdirection or sin, eventually. So listen, the mercies of God, the Bible says, are new every morning. The mercies are new every morning. His sustenance enlivens you every day if we meet with Him to receive it. If you don't do that, you leave that part out of your, your life out, you're not going to gain. You're not going to grow. You're not going to bear fruit. The last cause of weariness and well-doing we'll talk about this morning is just burnout. Some people just do it beyond human endurance, it, it, beyond their own capacities. They see the holes in ministry and they volunteer. And they do this and they do that and they do this and they do that and they do this and they do that. And there's all kinds of reasons people do that kind of stuff to burn themselves out. Some of them are good and some of them aren't so good. We try to keep an eye on those people around here. We don't want people doing too much. You know, some people volunteer for everything. And we sometimes you just have to say, no, you're not allowed to volunteer for this. We're looking for somebody else because they're already killing themselves doing this and this and that, you know. You're doing enough. When we have the need in the church, the leadership often gets together. We think about approaching somebody to maybe help out with a certain thing. We don't look for the person doing everything and say, oh, let's give them one more thing. We, we actually say, that person's doing too much. Let's not approach that person about this. Some people show up here at our church and they are burned out from where they've been. And they need to just sit down for a year and rest. And we totally understand that. We let them do that. They need a year off. We're glad to let them do that. Once you're at the burnout stage, it takes a long time to get back in. You need a break. But you may never reach that stage if you pace yourself properly and not overdo and keep yourself in balance and recreate yourself every now and then. That's a great word, recreation. You know what it means? Recreation, right? You're renewing yourself. Everybody needs that. Rest, renewal, change of pace. The solution for all these different causes of weariness, of course, is right in our text this morning. Not lagging behind in diligence, Romans 12, 11. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Don't lag behind in diligence. You know that expression is kind of a play on verse 10, where it says, let others go before you in honor, but don't lag behind them in diligence, right? Because some people say, well, I'm going to let them go before me in honor, and I'll let them do the work since they're getting all the honors. That's exactly not the attitude. The attitude is, I'm going to let you have the honors, but I'm going to be just as diligent as you are, if not more. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Keep your spirit hot. Fervent for Christ. Whenever I think about spiritual temperatures, I always think of Revelation chapter 3. You might want to turn there. In the letter that Jesus wants John to write to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, Verse 15, he's speaking, this is Christ speaking to a church. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, neither, neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You just kind of picture that. It's like to be spit out of Christ's mouth. Because you're, you're so icky tasting. Lukewarm churchianity is the most unpleasant taste of all to the Lord. If you're cold, you know it. I'm cold. I need to get warm. It's like you're in a place where you, I can deal with that because you know you're cold. You're looking to get warmed up. If you're hot, 
great, but lukewarm, tepid, uncaring, just religiosity, that's death. And that's the context of the famous verse about Jesus knocking at the door. Verse 17 there. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself and that shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. You see, you get all that from him. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Isn't that a beautiful picture? He says, if you're in that place, he says, repent, fire up your zeal, because I'm knocking at the door. Just open up. I'm right there. Just open the door and I'll come and dine with you. It's fellowship. I'll fellowship with you and renew you. Repent. That's the way back from being lukewarm. Then invite Jesus in and fellowship with him and he will set you on fire. He will put the fervor there. You'll start boiling. And the last line of Romans 12, 11 there encompasses much of what we've been saying this morning. Serving the Lord. That's really the key. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. That's it. Not serving my ego. Not serving my needs. Not serving my flesh. But serving the Lord. That motive has to be held right before your eyes every day. That's what I'm doing. I'm serving the Lord. I want to serve you today, Lord. As I live, as I parent my children, as I go to school, as I teach this class, as I listen in class, as I organize this event, as I give this gift, as I visit this person, as I share my time, I want to serve you in that. During my long drive, I want to serve you in that. It's all about him, and it's only about me as I can be faithful and obedient and useful to him in love. That fervor should boil because it is about the Lord. Isn't, isn't that right? Shouldn't our fervors be tied in some way proportionately to the object of our interest? In other words, if I'm fervent about um, something, shouldn't it be something that really deserves to have my fervor? So, and shouldn't my level of boiling be, be commensurate with the object that I'm talking about here? In other words, if I'm into golf, that's great, and I want to play golf, I, I have excitement about that, but should that fervor be equal to the fervor I have to serve the living God of the universe? Probably not, right? It's not quite the same thing. If I want to garden and, and grow beautiful plants and all that, and that's a real interest of mine, that's great, but should that fervor be the same as the fervor I have for the living God who saved me and died on the cross for me? No, I mean, we're talking about proportionality here. There are levels of interest and enthusiasm, and we should be getting ourselves lined up in the right proportion. So serving God and his kingdom is obviously at the top. What's that song we always sing? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He, he wants to let you enjoy all those things, but that's got to be first. It's got to be way above everything else. Way above. 
serve the Lord. What greater cause of fervor can there be than that? Infinite, unfading worth. How does it say it in the book of Revelation? Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lord. So serve the Lord in proportion to his own worthiness, which is infinitely beyond anything else you can think of. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for pointing us in the right direction and challenging us. You know how weak we are in our flesh and how our zeal flags and our interests wane and our service grows cold at times. And we just thank you that your mercies are new every morning and we can be renewed every day. There's no sense in giving up because you're right there knocking at the door. All we have to do is open up and bring you in and dine with you and be renewed by you. And then we can do good in this world, change it, make it a better place, and give you glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.